online. What is up, Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and we are in our third episode of our Astro and Atmospheric Chemistry season. A couple weeks ago, we had Dr. Nadine bourdois dedekind on the show chatting about clouds and crystals, and that was a super sweet chat. Today's sweet guest will be chatting with us today about a different aspect of the atmosphere. So buckle in, folks. It is about to be a good time. He received his BA degree in chemistry from Hendricks College and is currently working towards a PhD in atmospheric chemistry at UCSD. Folks, please give a warm welcome to our sweet guest and my good friend, Ryan Tuminello. Ryan, thank you so much, so much for chatting with me today. It is so, so wonderful to have you on the show. Um, how have you been? Because I understand that it's been a pretty stressful time because second year exams are right around the corner. You know, I've been doing pretty well, but you're right. It is a stressful time in the PhD program right now. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with second year exams here at UCSD, they work a little bit differently than mm-hmm. other places. Here at UCSD, we, instead of having um, qualifying exams like other schools would have where you take written exams for moving on to kind of your candidacy kind of stages. Right. Uh, we write a proposal about what our actual research is about. Yeah. And then do a six-page written proposal and then do an oral presentation in front of like the first part of our committee. So there are three professors, two of them very established in the field and mm-hmm. one of them who is kind of like from a different subsection of chemistry. Right. And we are supposed to uh, very explicitly explain our science to them in a very cohesive, straightforward manner. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of trying to put together that presentation right now, and it is a time. <laughs> I bet. Oh, my gosh. But but I think, like, in, in the long run, I feel like it would be, like, a really, really beneficial thing because not only are you preparing extensively to present this research, it also gives you practice to talk about your research if you ever to go to a conference, um, which or I think would be so present on a podcast, for or, example. Or present a podcast. <laughs> well, but we talk about cake on this podcast. I don't know if I could get away with that at my second year if I had one. Um, or my thesis defense. We'll find out. I don't know. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. We'll, we'll do, stay tuned, folks. Um, so your research. Your research emphasizes the field of atmospheric chemistry. And a couple weeks ago, um, Nadine nicely explained what that means um, and what that research entails. And... You know, she and I also chatted about crystalline clouds, which still blows my mind. Uh-huh. Uh, crystals in the sky. Um, <laughs> to this day, and I, I say that as if, if it was a really long time ago. It was really only two weeks ago. But uh, it still blows my mind because as an organic and inorganic chemist, just like, what is going on? I don't know. Is this real life? Because I, I can only... When I think of crystals, I think of vapor diffusions, which are very, they take a long time, and sometimes they don't work, and then you just sit there sad, and you gotta do it again. But, you know, uh, so so what does your research particularly focus on? The word aerosols came up, and I, I'm curious about that. So the word aerosol always comes up. This is a, a constant battle that you fight as an atmospheric chemist, because in popular media, everyone knows the word aerosol to mean hairspray mean Mm, to mm -hmm. mean whipped cream cans to Mm -hmm. mean anything that's coming out of a high pressure bottle essentially right um and that while those are accurate definitions um and accurate examples a a more broad definition is to think about any solid or semi-solid or liquid particle that's suspended in air suspended in some kind of gas and that's like the most 
simple definition of an aerosol that I that I can give. And so that's why you know when you spray the spray can, you have liquid, small liquid droplets coming out of that can. Those are all aerosol particles. Oh, that's so cool. So. Is there a particular size of these aerosols? Like, is it is the does the particle have to have a particular size to be classified as an aerosol? Um, yes and no. Uh, so there's a little bit of debate as to where like what the smallest cutoff is mm-hmm. in terms of size. Uh, some people put it on the order of like two nanometers, and if mm-hmm. you think about it in the terms of the human hair, which is the example most people are familiar with, that's on the scale of about a hundred micrometers, so a thousand, nope, ten thousand times bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about two nanometers, so very, very small clusters of, of molecules that would right. mix an aerosol. And there's different classes of aerosol, like different ranges based off of their size, going all the way up into that micron like hair range. And the way that they're created generally kind of dictates how they, which of those categories they end up in. So tell me more about those categories. So there's the nucleation mode, which oh. um, is the smallest, smallest mm-hmm. of those aerosols. Typically, those are particles that um, are freshly formed, Mm -hmm. and so they will start as gases in the atmosphere and then will react with something chemically in the atmosphere and go from the gaseous phase Mm -hmm. straight to a liquid or semi-solid solid phase. Mm -hmm. And you might notice that I'm harping on phase quite a bit here because that's entirely what my research is actually on. Right. Um, So I'm very interested in a broad range of particles starting from the nucleation mode on the very small end to the kind of accumulation Atkin mode, which can get all the way up to like the micron ranges. Right. And I'm interested in the phase of those particles. So mm-hmm. how solid, how liquid, how semi-solid each of those things are. And that's all dependent on how what the size of those particles are, the composition, uh-huh. uh, the relative humidity in the air, because you think, you know, the more liquid water there is around, the more wet your particle is going to be, so the less right. solid it will be. You're talking about phases as if there are degrees of solidness and liquidness. What? Tell me more about that. I'm so intrigued. Yeah, so this, this took me a long time to wrap my head around. So there are absolutely degrees of solid and liquidness. Hmm. And the way that the field has kind of like identified that is based off of the particle's viscosity. Huh. So um, more viscous things are more solid, okay. less viscous things more liquid-like. Um, right. And the best example that I can give you and something I'm really sad I didn't get to use over Christmas break <laughs> um, is I like to put things in terms of food. I'm a very food-oriented person, love cake. Of course, that's, of why, course. that's why this podcast is a thing. <laughs> so, so if you put it in terms of food, mm-hmm. uh, let's think about a deviled egg, right? Okay. So you have the kind of hard-boiled outer white part of the deviled egg right. that is very solid, very viscous. Okay. Um, it's going to be very difficult for you to kind of stick your fork through that, to kind of stick your finger directly through that solid surface mm-hmm. versus the yolk yellow deviled part in the center. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very easy for you to put your finger straight through that surface, right? Ooh. So it's a lot less viscous. Huh. And so it's a lot easier. Say your finger is a chemical that's trying to react with your aerosol particle. Uh-huh. It's very easy for it to go through the less viscous things. Not so easy for it to get on the inside of the, the hard boiled egg more viscous. Right. So, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around this because mm-hmm. what, viscosity in my mind is a property of, of liquids. Mm-hmm. So, do, is density like a, a similar property for solids or is it just viscosity? Uh, so, I guess an easier way to, to think about it is um, something very viscous is going to be like a glass marble, right? Okay. So, if you tried to 
you know, take a marker, draw on the outside of that glass marble, see how long it's going to take for that dye to diffuse all the way through it. Mm -hmm. It's going to take, I mean, well beyond years, right? right? Okay. Um, if you do the same thing with something like ketchup, mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot faster, right? Right. Moving down even further to something like liquid water, you're stepping down in viscosity, mm. it's getting a lot faster. So my okay. research focuses on studying things and how viscous those particles actually are. Okay. The way that I do that is kind of strange, um, and it's by using the bounce property of those particles. So, yeah, you got that look. Bounce. Bounce. So, you, you see a rain droplet hit a surface. Right. Hits the surface, splats, stops moving immediately, right? Yeah. You see a bouncy ball hit a surface, bounces back up immediately. Oh. Oh! Okay, so I'm just trying to put two and two together. If something is more viscous, it'll be bouncier? Yep. Nice! That is 100% correct. Oh my gosh. Okay. How, how are you measuring this? So I use what is called an electrical low-pressure impactor, which is basically uh, you sample goes in the top, it is electrically charged up at the top mm -hmm. and I have an impactor which segregates your particles based off of their diameter. Okay. Um, and that just works by, you know, the stages get smaller and smaller mm -hmm. as you're moving down. And so as each hole subsequently gets smaller, you get smaller aerosols making it through. Right. And there are electrodes on each of those stage measuring the current that comes from those aerosols. So, as the aerosol passes through that stage, I'm able to measure, okay, I have five femtoamps at the top, and on the next stage, I only have four, so I lost one femtoamp of current here. Mm -hmm. And it is able to translate that current to aerosol particle number. That's so wild. It is very wild. It is very strange to kind of wrap your head around at the beginning. Oh. So it'll size segregate things, right? Yeah. More, if it's entirely liquids that you're putting in there, they will be perfectly size segregated. Right. However, if they're more viscous, if they're more solid-like, they'll hit the surface they should stop on, bounce off of that surface, and go down to the next one. What? How? Go down to the and next one. And so, so each of them are getting smaller as mm -hmm. you move down. Yeah. And so you'll maybe have something that's really large at the top, but it's very solid, and it'll just keep bouncing subsequent stages down, down, Whoa. down, down. It'll make it all the way to the bottom. And so, you know, you should have a, a size distribution. Your aerosol particles should look like a normal bell curve, right? Where there's right. a maximum and you have two tails. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have things that are very solid, the left tail, where all of the small particles should be, mm -hmm. will be extremely exaggerated to even over the maximum of your bell curve. Because of these bouncy Because of these particles. bouncy particles. Oh my gosh. Holy cannolis. That's so cool. Wow, now I understand why it's like taking you so long to get your head around this because like I, I'm I oh my gosh That's so cool. I I'm trying to think of like a parallel of what I do because like when you had said like there are different stages for size segregation and whatnot Like I was like, oh it kind of like filter paper, right? Yeah, like, no, it's very similar or like, you know, like I work with nanoparticles and um, you said nucleation and that is one of the stages of, of nanoparticle formation is, uh, is you know, you, nucleation um, and you have really small nanoparticles and really large nanoparticles and sometimes like we can size segregate, I'm putting quotes in the air's focus, mm. um, uh, our particles by century, so we, we 
you know, we isolate our nanoparticles by centrifugation. And so the way that we do that is we isolate our um, larger nanoparticles by using slower speeds, and we isolate our smaller nanoparticles using higher speeds. But um, the only way that we can really measure the diameter of these nanoparticles is uh, using transmission electron microscopy, but, but uh, then, you know, having this next level of bounciness, I feel like complicates things. <laughs> right? it, it absolutely does. And I actually also do something very recently started doing something similar to TEM, like you had just described. Mm -hmm. um, it's called atomic force microscopy. Hmm. And it works very, very similarly. And I take the um, stages like from the impactor that I have right. so as the particles come in. And you are able to go in and look very closely and see what the diameter actually was of those particles that settled on that stage. Right. So I'll be able to see, okay, we had, you know, 10 nanometer particles bounce all the way from the top, or I'm sorry, 10 micron particles bounce all the way from the top and deposited on maybe stage three where they should be 30 nanometers. Mm. Um, and so I'm able to actually like quantitatively go in and look to see what the size was that was bouncing. So I can see that maybe the solid particles are really all the really big particles, or maybe they're big to me as infinitesimal to most people. But <laughs> well, I mean... Okay, I yeah, mean, you're in yeah, nano, yeah. Right, yes. I mean, like, in even the material that I work with, it, folks, for those that, you, that don't know, um, my nanoparticles scale between, like, 100 to 200 nanometers, which is pretty small to a lot of folks. For me, that is huge because I used to be a small molecule chemist uh -huh. uh, and so I'm just like wow this is really big like this is this is like bigger than most proteins so um and proteins are pretty big and then by the time that we get to the cell it's just like okay I tap out it's too big it's too big for me like it's too big of a scale oh my gosh like how are people I don't know we are anyway. very different people very different I know oh my gosh anything that small is terrifying to me Really? Oh, well, you know, to each their own. Yeah, each their yeah own. absolutely. And, you know, this is so cool. So are you looking at just particles in general, or are you looking at specific particles? I particles? am looking at specific particles right Ooh. now. So actually, I am looking at sea spray aerosol. Sea spray aerosol. Yes. So sea spray, every time a wave breaks, mm -hmm. you'll see that kind of like mist that gets shot up into mm -hmm. the air. I'm sure most people, especially here in sunny La Jolla, have uh -huh. seen the beach. I'm looking uh, at it right now. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, you know, we can see each time the waves crash, there's that kind of yeah. like sheen of things that move up into the air. Mm -hmm. um, those are liquid particles and gaseous particles that are being emitted from bubbles bursting mm -hmm. um, that end up into the, the atmosphere. Um, and so a lot of that might settle back down almost immediately, but some of the really fine things will actually end up moving a lot higher mm -hmm. and, you know, having interactions in the atmosphere and end up, you're breathing it in when you're, when you're on the beach, we're breathing it in as we're walking around here, mm -hmm. can be transported all the way across the country, it just oh. kind of depends. Um, and no one has ever really looked at what the phase of what's coming out of the ocean is, what the phase of sea spray aerosol is. I think people previously assumed that it was liquid because we all seem we all see liquid. It's yeah, liquid ocean. that's a lot. It's a vast it's body a vast of liquid. Body of liquid. <laughs> a vast body of liquid. She's like one would assume. One would it assume it might be liquid. So that, okay, that's so cool. Like, so, so why? We're here. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's a Might combination well, of we're yeah. here. I work with the Center for Aerosol Impacts on Chemistry and the Environment, mm-hmm. um, CASE, here at UCSD, where we have an NSF foundation mm-hmm. um, that is funded entirely on looking at ocean chemistry. Mm-hmm. And so why I'm able to, to kind of tap into some of that research funding to do this uh, area of the field that no one has ever really studied before. That's so cool. I mean... Yeah, we are looking at the ocean right now, folks. Like, as we are in this conference room uh, recording this episode, there's a cloud that is that is just floating by. Shout out to you, Nadine. It, it looks... Kind of like a platypus. It looks... Mm, it does kind of look like a platypus. I'm like trying platypus. to figure out if it's crystalline or, or, or liquid. Um, and that is undetermined because I am not as well-versed at clouds as Nadine is, but, you know, okay. We're going to go with platypus. <laughs> Shout out to Nadine bourgeois Dedekind. Um, <laughs> your chemistry is great. Ugh, this has been... Wow, that's so cool. Okay, so sea spray. What phase is it? Do we know yet? We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, so, you know, Case has been working on some stuff in the past. Mm-hmm. We've got some offline things. It's mm-hmm. meaning, like, we've taken samples, taken them back to the lab, and analyzed them. Mm-hmm. But that gets a little tricky because there's problems with, you know, it being fresh straight from the ocean versus it sat around in a lab for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm hoping to try to bring things to the ocean. Yeah go straight out to the pier out here and mm-hmm. actually take some measurements mm-hmm. to hopefully get some like real representative it just the wave just broke 45 feet away from me i'm getting those particles right here yeah that's hopefully super we'll see cool. yeah I'm, I'm excited it's a good place to be for right. what i'm trying to do i and i almost wonder like taking measurements out in the field i mean the ocean is right there mm-hmm. would probably be perhaps more accurate of the natural phenomenon than, you know, if you were to try to replicate that in a lab. Um, but yeah, like it is, we are conveniently placed for, for such a, such a project as this. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I was curious about, so there was mention a while back about a phytoplankton bloom Mm. and I, I was very confused mm-hmm. by that. Could you tell me more about this phytoplankton bloom? Yeah, so one of the major things with sea spray that I'm trying to study is how does the phase of what's coming out of the water change with biological activity? Oh. And so biology, is the easiest thing that we can introduce in like a controlled lab environment mm-hmm. is going to be phytoplankton. Right. They're relatively straightforward to grow. People have been doing it for years. Um, so I have been making phytoplankton blooms inside of what is essentially a large fish tank mm-hmm. that has been specially designed to mimic the same way that ocean waves break. Oh. And so they have the same like number concentration. So with each wave, we'll see the same number of aerosol come out as what would come out of the ocean, Whoa. Um, as well as the same size distribution. And I'm making a bell curve with my hand, folks. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, as well as the same size distribution. So we see the particles that are the right size. We see particles of the right number um, inside of this large fish tank. Um, and I grow phytoplankton inside of those tanks and then measure the phase over the course of the life of the phytoplankton. It is really neat, and it changes. I will let you know before I publish, it changes over the course of the phytoplankton bloom. I'm excited to read that publication. It's going to be very excited. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 
Wowza, folks. Wowza. I. That's how uh, I feel. Right? Wowza. That is that is a mood. Hashtag wowza. That is a whole mood. Oh my gosh. Wow. This is so cool. This is so cool. You know what I really like about it is I came in knowing absolutely nothing about the ocean. Mm-hmm. Knowing absolutely nothing about biology, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, a little bit about atmospheric chemistry. I'd had some experience with it, but not like a whole, whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came right into this PhD program and picked all of these things up and now this is what I do with my entire day every day and I could not be happier about it oh it's so sweet I love that makes my heart real happy oh that's that's so sweet yeah um so tell me what what got you into atmospheric chemistry anyway uh so my initial I've had a couple of experiences with it um so my initial experience was at Hendrix College where I worked for Dr. Courtney Hatch. Mm-hmm. Hi, Dr. Hatch. <laughs> uh, so I worked for Dr. Courtney Hatch in her environmental chemistry lab. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually worked for somebody here at UCSD during her education. Oh, cool. um, and so she took some of those kinds of techniques and experience, and she started the only atmospheric lab at a school of 1,200 people. Nice. Yeah. So I, uh, I started working with her actually as a freshman. She was brave enough to take me on as a freshman in <laughs> which you know ups and downs I enjoyed it I don't know if she did but you know. <laughs> I'm sure she did she claims to now oh now <laughs> okay uh, but yeah so I got to I got to do some uh, atmospheric chemistry early on and realized that I really really liked it um, got to do some touring of national labs with her, which was a really cool program called the eProach program. It's also an NSF funded thing. Thank you, NSF. Amazing. Yeah. I'm just going to plug all of my NSF experiences while I'm oh, here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I did some really cool, um, things with her during undergrad and actually had the opportunity to be a part of the NASA student airborne research program in 2017. Hello, SARP friends. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I believe that is also an NSF-funded thing. If it's not, I'm sorry. <laughs> Where I got to do, I got to be a part of research flights. Yeah. Um, and so we got on a research aircraft, went up over in Southern California. This is while I was still living in Arkansas, so I was very excited to be out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we flew over uh, what was an actual forest fire, which was really cool. Oh. We flew over the ocean. We flew over um, a couple of airports to, to monitor the pollution that came from those things. Whoa. Uh, and so I got this really cool experience of like getting to fly on an actual research aircraft. And then I got to use that data that I collected to do a project, which was also a lot of fun. So. That's so cool. Wow, that is amazing. That's phenomenal. I, I'm speechless. I, I, it that was is... honestly one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. It was oh, a great bad. eight-week program. Uh, I would highly suggest applying if you were an undergrad and you are looking for things to do. Uh, they focus specifically on people that went to small schools. They focus specifically on people that maybe haven't had the most um, opportunity for previous research experiences. Nice. So they are really fantastic people. Um, it's run by Dr. Emily Schaller, who is the best. Amazing. Yeah. Phenomenal. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Wow. I'm just going to sit here and relish this conversation because it's been so sweet. Um, and while we are nearing the end of our chat, I do have a very important question. And folks, I think you know what's coming. 
Ryan, I think you know what's coming. I do. Of all the questions that I have asked, I have one more very important, yes. arguably the most important. Not arguably. It's it most. is the most important question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? Is a really hard question. That's what everyone says. It's, yeah, no, it's true, though, because you, know, you have different moods, right? You yeah. have different moods yeah. for cakes. You know, some days... I am like a diehard, like, would smack my brother in the face for a piece of strawberry cheesecake. Ooh. Like, some days, that is just what I want deep in my soul. However, if I had to really stop and think about it, like, look, what I always go back to, it's a good carrot cake with mm. fantastic, fantastic cream cheese icing. Mm. With or without walnuts? Uh, without walnuts. I'm more of a purist that way. Oh! <laughs> Hashtag, is this a cake? Oh my gosh. And, you know, there has been debate. I think I, I, think I t- tweeted this one day. I couldn't come up with the answer because I did not know. And so I posted it for the public to answer. Someone had asked me, is cheesecake a cake or a pie? Ooh. And I did not know the answer to that because it has cake in the name, but it has a crust and a filling, which is structurally a pie, but it is named a cake. Conversely, there is also Boston cream pie, which is not a pie, it's a cake. Yep. So it's just like, um, I think I think we need to develop like an IU pack system for cakes because like there are some things that are named cakes but aren't structurally cakes. So like- So, so what do you define as a cake? Cake. Oh. <laughs> This is a phenomenal question, and I'm going to have to think about that so that I can, I can come, come back and we can have a whole episode on just this argument it's, of what is a cake. What is it? You know what, folks? That is, we're going to do it. We're going to have a what is a cake episode with Ryan Tuminello. I think we do it at a round table. We do. We, we get a whole room full of people to argue about what is a cake. Ooh. Folks, uh, once this episode is released, we would love to hear what you have to say about this episode uh so tweet at me what you think about hashtag what is a cake as an episode um round table what is a cake oh my gosh having a bunch of scientists just debating what is Mm -hmm. a cake Mm -hmm. wow i love that idea i think we're gonna do it i think we're gonna do it folks oh man oh such a great response Uh, uh, well okay so we have we have come to the end of our chat, Ryan. Thank you so so much for chatting. This is so cool. Um, I am so I'm I'm speechless with like the research that you do. It's phenomenal. Thank you for catching up with me and talking about it. And to the listeners at home, thank you for joining in our chat today. I hope you are super hyped about aerosols and atmospheric chemistry as much as I am, because uh, this was a super sweet chat. Um, So, if you would like to partake in the hype and join the Cake Nation, feel free to follow me on Twitter at ChemistryCake. And for more of my chemistry climbing and other adventurous shenanigans, feel free to follow me on Instagram at ChemistryCakeOnline. It is 100% guaranteed that I will shenan again. Anyway, (laughs) this is your weekly reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify your village. Ryan is like (laughs) low-key dying in the corner. (laughs) Thanks for (laughs) shenan again. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Chemistry. Mystery Cake, signing off.